the protection of his child and treasure is a charge he has laid on himself. Wow. I mean, that phrase alone gives us such comfort, doesn't it? Just thinking about those words, to take everything as from a father's hand, the hand through which every circumstance in your life has been filtered is a hand that has been pierced by a nail because Jesus is in control of your life. Isn't that what it means to come to our Lord in prayer and to recognize who He is and who we are in relation to that? That's one of the reasons why we're doing this series on the Lord's Prayer, because as we've been emphasizing week after week, if you can learn to pray well, if you can learn to take the, the circumstances that surround you and bring them to your Heavenly Father, you can learn to live well. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. Would you finish that statement with me? I'll start it and you finish it. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. Let's do that one more time. If you can live to pray, learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. And it's not living in a fantasy world. Praying is living in the real world because it's the world that God created. It's living in the purposes that He has set for our lives. That's what we're here to do to explore more on what it means to pray well. And who better to learn from than Jesus Christ Himself? Because He gave us a model prayer upon which we may base our own prayers. So let's go there in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I would like to read this prayer, and then we will ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Lord instructs His followers, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we need Your Word. We need Your Spirit to move among us. We need to be fed spiritually. I pray that You would open our hearts I pray that you would banish unbelief and doubt. I pray that you would comfort people who are sorrowing, prick the consciences of those who are hardened, and I pray that all of us would come to a greater understanding of who you are and respond accordingly. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We've been working our way through this prayer petition by petition, we actually started with an introductory message talking about God as our Heavenly Father and why the fact that we approach God as our Father shapes everything we do in our prayer. So we've talked about, first of all, the God-oriented petitions, right? These ones in which we are recognizing that the greatest reality in all the world is that God's name be honored as holy, hallowed be your name. 
How is it that God is going to hallow his name? How is it that God's name will be honored as holy? It's as his kingdom comes, as he reigns as king. So how is it then that God reigns as king? How does any king reign as king? As his subjects submit their wills to him, that's why the next petition is this, your will be done. So we see the sequence of these petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. How is that going to come? If your will is done. All right, now what's the next petition? The next petition begins these series of three petitions that are more oriented toward our needs. But we shouldn't think that these are two separate parts of the prayer, as if we're going to try to give God His peace, and then we give us our peace. Like, okay, God gets His needs met, His name being hallowed, His kingdom coming, His will being done, and then now I get my needs met. Okay, everything's all fair now. Now, that's not it at all. If you think about it this way, the first three petitions are the destination. That's where we're all going. And the second three petitions are how we get there. The way that we advance God's kingdom is by having bread to eat, by our sins being forgiven, by us being led not into temptation. These are how we fulfill the purposes of God. And so we get to this fourth petition, which begins the second part of this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I have here in the pulpit furniture a loaf of bread. I'm looking at it for the first time. Sandy Reese kindly baked this for me because I wanted to show you this beautiful piece of bread, beautiful loaf of bread, okay? Now, bread has been around for a long time. Not this piece of bread, this, this one was, was baked uh, relatively recently. In fact, when I opened this sliding door here, I could just actually smell the bread wafting up my nose. Am I making you hungry yet? Sorry, is this just miserable? You're not going to be able to focus. But I wanted to show you bread to, to remind you how, how essential it is for our daily sustenance. We read about bread in the Bible. Uh, we read about bread being that which the prodigal son craves. Remember when he ended up in the pigsty and he's amid all the muck and he said, oh, he said, my father's servants have, have enough bread to eat and more, and here I am feasting on the slop of the pigs. Bread was also what Jesus had when he fed 5,000 people and broke it into pieces and miraculously gave food to a multitude. Bread was also that which the devil tempted Jesus with in the wilderness after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was very hungry, and the devil came to him and tempted him and said, turn this rock into what? Into bread. Tempting him to divert his mission and to satisfy himself. But let me ask you the question. When we think about the petition, give us this day our daily bread, when was the last time you really had to pray that prayer? Like, when was really the last time that you had no idea where your daily bread was going to come from, and you were saying, Lord, I need today, I need today what I need for the day? And it could be that you're in that circumstance right now. It could be that there is an urgent need that you have, and you need it today to sustain your life. But you know, for the vast majority of us, we never really feel the desperate need to pray that prayer. I thought about this. Now, why in America would we have to pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, the basic provisions to sustain our life? In the former ministry that I was in, our church got the leftovers of all the baked goods at a local bakery on a Saturday night. 
And we'd take turns picking it up and bringing it to the church. And I remember one night, it was my turn to pick up uh, bread, and I carried out big trash bag after trash bag full of bagels and pastries and, and flatbreads and French breads and all sorts of breads, like a Santa Claus going back and forth to my car to, put the, to load this in and take it to the church. And I remember thinking, why would I have to pray, give us this day our daily bread when we have such abundance of, of provision? I mean, we have mind-blowing wealth in this country. Even if you are on the bottom 10% of the socioeconomic scale in, in America, you are still above the top 10% of the vast majority of nations in the world. If you really think about it, just, just clean water, having clean water piped right into your home that is heated by power plants you're able to get into your car that's climate-controlled and go from place to place. And not only as a means of transportation, but you can flip a switch and be instantly entertained by, by music and, and talk show hosts or what, whatever it might be. You have a phone with which to communicate to people. We have recreations that we, that we can distract ourselves. We have pantries that are loaded with spices and things that would have been the envy of the wealthiest monarch in medieval times. And yet even these things we don't have time to think about because we're, we're saturating ourselves with entertainment and, and this and that. I mean, we are an extremely wealthy culture. And so could it be that amid all our wealth, we don't feel the need to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Has our wealth, has our insurance programs, has our sense of security somehow numbed us to our need? As I thought about this, I thought about this passage and our need to pray it, and our need to be sincere and, and desperate and earnest in the way we go to the, the Lord with this. I thought, why is it that, that we think this way? And I think it's, it's this, that, that this petition, give us this day our daily bread, it collides with a couple attitudes that we tend to have. And one of those attitudes is an attitude of self-sufficiency that, that thinks, I, I really have a lot more. I don't need to depend on God for everything. And the other attitude we have is an attitude of entitlement. We feel that we need our luxuries. Instead, all we really need is our daily bread. We have an attitude of self-sufficiency and an attitude of entitlement. So that attitude of entitlement is the attitude that takes all our our wants and all our needs. You know there's a difference between wants and needs, right? All right? It takes our wants and our needs and puts them in a bag and shakes them all up and gets them confused. That's his attitude of entitlement. And so if we are going to pray this prayer sincerely and, and desperately and honestly before the Lord, there are two lessons we need to learn. And these will form the structure of the message this morning. They're taken from implications of the text right here. We, first of all, need to learn a lesson in dependence. A lesson of dependence. And second, we need to learn a lesson of purpose. Dependence on the giver and purpose for His gifts. And if we don't learn these, then we will not pray properly this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. First of all, the lesson of dependence. In order to pray sincerely, give us this day our daily bread, we must know and feel our complete dependence on God all the time. Notice the wording of this petition. 
It says this, give us this day our daily bread. Did it ever strike you that the prayer is not, let us earn our daily bread? Let us barter for our daily bread? Let us trade something that we have to you, O God, so that you somehow be obligated to give us our daily bread? I mean, why do you ask someone to give something to you? It's because you don't have it yourself, and they do. The reason why this request is, is a simple prayer, not of bartering, not of trading, not of earning, is because we don't have the capability to earn our daily bread unless God gives it to us. This is the lesson of dependence that we must learn, that God is the giver and we are the receiver, not the other way around. We must, if we are to pray this prayer sincerely and honestly and from our hearts, we must recognize something fundamental about who God is and that He is the giver of all things. This is why Thanksgiving time is so meaningful for us as Christians because we know that everything we have is from God. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it is a sincere acknowledgement that I am the source of absolutely nothing good in my life and only God is. Without Him, I am nothing. So we must depend on Him as the giver. Too often we, ref- we forget this. Sometimes when I go to a store that has shopping carts, I find myself with my kids, I'm with my kids, I find myself drawn to the shopping carts that are cleverly constructed to look like a car. You know the ones that are so big that you can't maneuver the aisles without crashing into things? Yeah, that kind of cart. Why they thought those carts were a good idea, I have no idea. But they're kind of cool because they have steering wheels on them. And so you can put your kid in the cart, and he thinks he's steering the cart. And it's fun for him to go shopping because he's suddenly in control of the cart. And he's steering that wheel, and he's like, this is awesome. I'm in control of this cart, when in fact, Daddy is the one that's pushing the cart. And, and what, what, how foolish it would be, now, my kids have never, never done this, but how foolish it would be for a child to be like, Daddy, I'm turning the wheel this way, but the cart's going this way. Who's really in control of this cart anyway? Sometimes I feel like that, we're that way with our lives with God. We think we're in control. We think it comes from us. And yet, God is the one who is in control of everything. I mean, God is the ultimate giver of of everything. We depend on Him for everything. Yet, we have this attitude of self-sufficiency by which we rarely feel moved deeply within ourselves to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But self-sufficiency and security, they're only a delusion I was reading recently about the late author and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel. And I hadn't realized this, but he started a charitable foundation that was worth around $15 million. I'd read some quotes from him because he's he's not, not a believer, but a very inspiring thinker. And I realized that in 2008... All the $15 million was suddenly gone. What had happened? He had been the victim of the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. And and virtually all of the $15 million had been evaporated. 
And not only Elie Wiesel, who was uh, the head of that, uh, that foundation, but many, many other people. The number is astonishing. $50 billion was defrauded from investors. When we read about things like that, it just blows our mind how that all, all that wealth could suddenly be, have been just, just evaporated. I mean, everything you, you had invested in all your life is suddenly gone. I mean, I, I was looking at the name celebrity after celebrity after celebrity with undisclosed amounts that had been wrapped up in this scheme. But it isn't always as dramatic as Ponzi schemes and fraudsters like Bernie Madoff. It's, it's the loss of health. It's a bad turn in the economy. It's a loss of mental well-being. It's fragile relationships. I mean, everything about our lives makes us realize that, that we are really in control of nothing that can make us understand, no, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm utterly dependent. Isn't it true, as the wise proverb says, that he says this, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for here it is. Suddenly, your wealth sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Doesn't wealth have the ability to do that? It's like, where did all my wealth go? It sprouted wings and just flew away. That's what happened to it. That's what happens to wealth. What is the temptation for those of us who live in such a wealthy country? You may not consider yourself wealthy, but by, by world standards, you are. What is our temptation? It is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches. That's what we need to understand as, as American believers who feel often so secure in our wealth, so secure in our insurance, in, in, in all the programs that we have to make us rest. We really can't rest in them at all. The uncertainty of riches, my friends. Don't rest in that. Don't hope in that. Hope in God. He's the giver of all. We must depend on God as the giver. If we are to pray this prayer sincerely, authentically from our hearts, we must understand, first of all, this lesson of dependence on God as the giver, but also we must depend on His timing as the giver. Because notice, it not only does it say, give us this day our daily bread, not barter, not, not allow us to earn this day our daily bread, but, but it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I kind of get uncomfortable with that this day. I want to know that my daily bread is going to come for a long, long time. And I get really uncomfortable when, when it seems like my daily bread might not be coming. Doesn't it feel good to, to just know that your, your bank accounts are good, your retirement saving is good? Doesn't it just feel, make you feel rested? Oh, but the uncertainty of riches. And yet, what we are to do is to ask God what we need the day that we need it, when we need it. We must depend not only on God as the giver, but His timing as the giver. In other words, it's this. We are not to ask God for, for God, give me a big old stockpile of stuff so I don't have to trust you for a long time. Give me just a bunch of money in my bank account so that I could just feel real good about myself and not have to trust. And maybe when that runs out, then I'll get real desperate and trust again. No, no, no. We should have the spirit of dependence all the time. We should have that spirit of, of utterly looking to God for everything we have every moment of our day. God, give me this day my daily bread because I recognize that it could all be gone in a moment. I depend on God not only as the giver, but on His timing as a giver to give me what I need when I need it. 
That's the life that God wants us to live, a life that's full of faith. Even though we may have wealth, even though we may have securities, we don't put our faith in those securities. We put our faith in the giver of those securities. And that's why we can pray, honestly, give us this day our daily bread. We depend on God as, in His timing as the giver. I find myself drawn to the, the stories about George Mueller. If you're not familiar with him, he was that, uh, the, the German, he, he moved to England, but he, he was originally from Germany. He cared for over 10,000 orphans in Bristol, England. He established 117 schools which serviced 120,000 children. But the life of faith of George Mueller was astonishing. This is one of my favorite stories, that, that one morning the children were dressed and ready for school, but there was no food to eat. And George asked the house mother of the orphanage to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited because he knew that God would provide for the food. And you know the story if you've heard it. A baker, within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. He said, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. If you take the, you, you can look this up. George Mueller's diaries are astonishing. From day to day, he records the specific money amounts that he had and that he didn't have and how much he needed, and it would just come in just like that. He depended on the timing. I especially like this story about George Mueller. He was crossing the Atlantic in August of 1877. His ship ran into thick fog. He explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec by the following afternoon, but the captain, uh, Joseph Dutton, said that he was slowing the ship down for safety and that Mueller's appointment would have to be missed. So Mueller asked to use the chart room to pray for the lifting of the fog. The captain followed him, claiming it would be a waste of time, but after Mueller prayed a very simple prayer, the captain started to pray, but Mueller stopped him, partly because of his unbelief. <laughs> he didn't want the captain to be praying because he's like, I don't want a prayer of an unbelieving man, and partly because, because he believed the prayer had been already answered. Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for more than 50 years, and there is not one instance that I have failed to have an audience with the king. Get up, captain, for you will find that the fog has gone. When the two men went back to the bridge, they found that the fog had lifted and Mueller was able to keep his appointment. Here's what I love most about this story. It's the final sentence. The captain became a Christian shortly afterwards. Yes, I would hope so. And he became known as Holy Joe. <laughs> you know, the, these are lessons of dependence. We should depend on God as the giver, and we should depend on His timing as the giver. If we are to pray sincerely, give us this day our daily bread. But there's another lesson we need to learn. Not just a lesson in dependence, depending on God as the giver and His timing as the giver, but we also need to learn a lesson in purpose, the purpose for this bread. Why are we to ask God for our daily bread? Why is it that this petition, give us this day our daily bread, follows the petition before it, which is what? What's the petition right before give us this day our daily bread? What is it? What is it? Thy will be done. Okay, the, the sequence is not accidental. It's on purpose because the way that we can do God's will is if we have the means, the energy, the sustenance to do God's will. 
That's why we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. When we unhitch God's provisions from God's purposes, we completely misunderstand both. Here's what happens. We tend to separate our petitions from God's purposes. And when we do, we always get into trouble. This is exactly what James was getting at when he said this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is what happens to us, brothers and sisters in Christ. We forget why we're praying for what we pray for. All we can see is our needs right in front of our faces, and then we, we need to step back and put it into perspective and think, wait, wait, why, why do I need this after all? I need it only so I could do the will of God. What would your prayer list look like if you were to see all of your petitions in light of God's priorities? Why do you suppose that we ask for bread on the heels of the prayer that God's will be done? Not just so we can eat bread. Not just so we could gorge ourselves. But that so we could do God's will. That's why we ask for bread. And when we forget this, we run into a lot of problems. One of the biggest problems we have in our lives, I believe one of the biggest problems we have in our lives is when we unhitch our requests from God's purposes for them. This always happens when something's not used for its purpose. I remember when I was a little kid, I would use my dad's tools for things they were not meant to be used for. I remember... going in, and when I was a little older, looking back at some of my dad's tools and, and seeing the shaft of a screwdriver like driven right up into the handle because I would use a screwdriver as a chisel. I'd take the hammer and I'd just chisel, 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 and it would just drive that shaft right up in there. I wonder, I never heard it from my dad, but I wonder if you'd go into his, into his toolbox, into, his, into the garage and think, what in the world are going with my screwdrivers? Like all the, the shaft is driven right up into the handle. I would use wrenches as hammers and hammers as ways to make sparks on the concrete in the driveway. I mean, all sorts of things. My dad, why in the world are my hammers all chiseled up? I mean, because I was using things other than their purpose. This is true in all of life. When you use something for, for another purpose, something other than what it was intended, it destroys it. When you think that your career, when you think that your career and work is intended to satisfy you, if you think that your job can be your identity and what gives you a sense of meaning, it destroys it. You'll be frustrated. You'll be confused. If you think that your relationships are intended to satisfy you, if you think, parents, that the role of your children in your life are are to affirm you in your parenting and to say, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy, and to grow up and and just take care of you and, and you're doing everything you can to manipulate their lives to be right close to you, you'll destroy them because that's not God's purpose for your children. That's not God's purpose for your career. That's not God's purpose for your education. That's not God's purpose for anything in your life. Everything that God has put into your life is a gift that you can use to glorify Him with. And when we unhitch God's, our petitions from God's purposes, we get into real problems. We end up frustrated, confused, dissatisfied. God has engineered both this universe and your own soul in such a way that your possessions and your relationships and your job and everything you have that don't make sense apart from God. 
This is what Solomon noticed in the book of Ecclesiastes. When he strolled through the lavish experiences of life, he said, I tried architecture. I tried women. I tried music. I accumulated male slaves and female slaves. I made myself great gardens and parks and works, and I looked at it all, and I said, this is vanity. Why? He was looking at life under the sun apart from God's purposes for his life. And that is how we will be with everything unless we see God in the picture. That's how we will be with our bread. It doesn't make sense by itself. It's not meant to function by itself. It is meant merely as a way for us to do the will of God. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we must not forget that the petition before it is this, your will be done. And that's also why, incidentally, thanksgiving is so important. Because thanksgiving is one way that we recognize that all these things are not our own. They're from God. So we can pray when we learn this lesson of dependence and we learn this lesson of purpose, we can pray sincerely and authentically, give us this day our daily bread. I want to close with, with three exhortations to you. Here, here are some three takeaways from this petition. First of all, this. Embrace dependence. Embrace dependence. Don't be allergic to dependence. I know, it, it just goes against our grain, doesn't it? Just depend on somebody else. We like to be independent, but we're not, so embrace it. This is the way God has made you. Embrace dependence. Perhaps you pray, perhaps right now you're in a situation where, where you don't know where your bread's going to come from. You don't know where your health, how your health is going to be sustained. You don't know all this, and, and you're in a position, you're like, yeah, I, I feel dependent. Yes, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to cry to Him alone as your, as your help. The Lord has His way of showing us that it is sweeter to rely on Him alone than it is to have an abundance of possessions. Embrace dependence. My wife Krista and I, at a point when we were beginning to pursue a degree for me, we started looking at the cost, we started crunching the numbers, and it just didn't add up. At that point in our lives, we had to embrace dependence. And we discovered, as many of you have discovered, that the gems that we can collect in those low valleys are more brilliant than the gems we could find on the mountains of prosperity. Embrace dependence. Second, live simply. We can so complicate our lives by accumulating possessions without keeping in mind their purpose. The problem is not wealth. The problem is not possessions. The problem is when we unhitch our possessions from God's purposes for them. And woe to the person who believes every advertisement they see that we're going to limp along in ugliness, unpopularity, and disgust apart from their lip balm, their insurance program, and whatever else they're trying to sell to us. Live simply. 
And third, keep God's priorities. Let us not abuse God's gifts. We ask for bread. Give us this day our daily bread, not to gorge ourselves with it, but as a provision by which we can do the will of God, to get the strength to obey Him. So we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and go to the Lord in prayer. In a moment, we're going to prepare to observe the Lord's Supper. As your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, take this moment to listen and reflect that Jesus is the bread of life. Any bread that we eat, any provisions we have will perish. There is one that will not, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the bread that has come down from heaven. Truly, He is our daily bread. He is the bread that we need that will nourish not just our bodies but our souls. And we receive that bread by faith, by believing in Jesus, that what He has done for us on the cross, what He has done on the cross is truly for us. If you haven't done that, I urge you to believe in Jesus Christ. Accept Him as your bread, not that perishes, but a bread that lasts for eternal life. Our Father, thank You for the time we've had in Your Word. I pray that You'd help us as we prepare our hearts to observe this table. In Jesus' name, amen.